Welcome to the JV Impacts Podcast, where our mission is to impact someone's life every single day. We focus on how ordinary people become extraordinary. And here is your host, John Vasquez, the self-published author of You Must Believe Way of Life. Let's go. Welcome to the JV Impact Podcast. We talk about motivation, health, and life. I'm your host, John Vasquez, and I'm excited, excited today for our special guest. You guys saw on Instagram, you saw on Facebook, we have an amazing, amazing guest, Scott French, and they are filming a movie right now called Sober and Stoked. And wait till you hear this guy's story. It's really an honor to have him on board, and it's really neat, the message and the mission that they're on. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Scott. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Scott. Well, John, thank you for that uh, nice introduction. Um, uh, pretty much my story is I'm a uh, recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had a fun life partying. And, you know, I had consequences all along. And I, when it ended up, when it was all said and done, I had uh, five DUIs and a bunch of uh, drug charges with uh, possession with intent to distribute. Wow. And, uh, you know, it kind of, it was a very humbling experience and it was very, um, eye opening. And I pretty much sat back and was like, something's got to change or else I'm going to die. Yeah. So and, tell us uh, a little bit, let's, let's, let's back, let's go back way back. I read your bio a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. How did you grow up? Uh, you know, where did you grow up? So let's, let's go all the way back so we can take the journey with you up into addiction. Uh, so where did you grow up? You know, how did you grow up how, with your parents? Things like that. Tell us a little bit about your past. So um, I grew up in uh, Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, nice, tight-knit family, kind of like the uh, good old Christian background. Awesome. Um, I had a great childhood, you know, lots of friends, uh, tight family, um, no drama, no, you know, no alcohol in the family, no, you know, no crazy separation. My parents were still together after, you know, 52 years. Um yeah, and I just kind of grew up. I just had a great childhood. And, um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And I had a great group of friends. And then once I got into high school, it was just like partying was pretty excellent. I kind of took to it. Um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, before you know it, everybody's kind of, you know, figuring out they're kind of like this social drinker and partier. And I just had this whole concept of, you know, once I start, I could not stop. Sure, sure. So that's it's good to hear, too, like for parents. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of different people listening. There's going to be parents listening. There's going to be, uh, you know, people in the fitness industry, people suffering from addiction. I think it's, it's a huge epidemic right now in our world, right? And so, you know, it's important to hear, too, that, you know, a lot of parents sometimes blame when their kid has an addiction, right? And I'll share a little bit about my personal story as we're sharing the journey. Uh, you know, I have the book coming out, Roids to Riches, as well. We had the same, same type of childhood. I grew up with amazing, amazing parents. I mean, my parents were phenomenal. They're still together as well we're so when i read your bio i'm like oh my god this is my brother from another mother man my parents are yeah, still together exactly. you know i had a great childhood my parents were completely against drugs my father was a police officer and so share with me in regards to that like how did that uh, come about you know you start hanging out with certain types of friends you know you you started the partying enjoying the partying i mean where did it turn from a, uh you know just partying into an addiction and how did that transition happen and you know how did your family handle it things like that yeah i think what it was is um I just kind of felt alcohol just kind of made me like this alive party animal. Um, I felt like I was more accepted. Um, I always had, 
you know, great friends. But once we brought alcohol and into the mix, it was like, it was game on. It was just like, this is what I've been waiting for. The animal. Um, I felt like I was more accepted. Um, I always had, you know, great friends, but once we brought alcohol and into the mix, it was like, it was game on. It was just like, this is what I've been waiting for. And, you know, we would go out and meet new people and it just felt like I was a comedian all of a sudden, you know, and I just felt like invincible. And the, uh, the thing was, is, you know, it starts off so slow and you kind of know, like, you're like, oh, I see alcoholics, you know, and, you know, we were outside of Washington, D.C. and you kind of drive into town, you see like the homeless people and, you know, oh, they're homeless because they're drinking. So you kind of have this, oh, you know, I'm not that bad type of thing. But there was early signs where I couldn't control it. Like we would go to, we would go to parties and everybody would be drinking and everybody would be drinking. And then everybody would pass out. You know, we'd have like these sleepovers. And the next day, everybody would be like, I'm so hungover. Oh, and then they'd go home. I'd wake up and I'd be like, I need, I need a drink. Gotcha. You know, I just, I just felt like that early morning drink was the, the best thing. And then it just kind of, you know, there was early signs where, you know, I would get DUIs and then I would get a slap on the wrist. I would go to rehab and then I would be able to stop for like, you know, most of them was like an outpatient uh, three month program. So I'd be like, oh, okay, I can get through the program. And then I'd kind of be like, all right, you know, this is nice and everything. But then when I would slip back, I'd have one drink and that's all it took. And it was all, you know, it was like the reset button. And that was just like that constant cycle. And it wasn't like I was, you know, was looking for anything. It just kind of, it just felt right to me. And then before you know it, it was to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't function, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stay away from it. Yeah. At what point did you know it was a problem? So, you know, you're transitioning from the party and all the time, waking up in the morning, wanting to drink in the morning. And when did you like finally hit that realization? You said you were driving around, you see the homeless people, you think, ah, you know, I'm not, you compare yourself to them, right? We don't know their situation, right. but we're comparing ourselves saying, oh, maybe I'm not that bad off. But what was the moment? Like, where was it where you said, I have a problem? Like, was it other people telling you to go to rehab or was it yourself or, you know, where did that transition come where you're like, my gosh, I have a problem. Uh, I think what it was is, um, well, after, you know, I'm, so I'm drinking for, you know, I'm probably into this like three or four, maybe even five years by now. And we started, you know, playing around and experimenting with cocaine and everybody would be like, Oh, let's go get an eight ball. And, you know, we'd split an eight ball with four people and the eight ball would be gone by the end of the night. And I'd be sitting there going, we need more. What are you doing guys? (laughs) Like, what are we doing? We need more, like get on the phone. Let's go meet up with some people. Yeah. And uh, that's when I realized that I was I was an addict. And all my other friends were, you know, they were just, they were going to work. They didn't have any issues. Their parents weren't mad at them. Um, and meanwhile, I was like, you know, I could barely get to work. I'd go to work. And they'd be like, you smell like alcohol. Uh, I was getting in trouble with the law. And I was probably about 21 or 22 years old. And I was you know, this is probably how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You know, that was like a a realization where I was kind of like shifting gears going, how am I going to be able to live like an alcoholic and a drug addict? Wow. You know, that that was kind of like my reality. And then everybody else was kind of like going off and getting married and, you know, getting, you know, serious relationships. And I would get into relationships and then 
you know, the girlfriend at the time would sit there and be like, this guy's crazy, <clears throat> you know? And I'd be <clears throat> like, oh, I can't handle her. She doesn't like drinking. You yeah. know, and that was, I was always, it was always somebody else's issue. It wasn't mine, you know, but deep down inside, I was like, this is, this is going to be a rough life, but I got to figure out how I'm going to do it. So you um, talked to, you talked about relationships. So with your parents and, you know, uh, dating, things like that, your friends are going off, getting married, starting relationships and you're in and out of relationships. How did that, how did that fare? Like with your parents, what did that look like? You know, did you have a broken relationship with them? It sounded like you had a tight relationship with them growing up. Did it affect your relationship with your parents? And what did that look like throughout your addiction? Yeah. So when I was growing up, it was, um, my parents were very close to me. I could always, you know, come up to them with any problems, anything like that. And what happens is they had, no, they knew that I was in trouble with the law because, um, back when I was living with them, they would get, uh, notices that I had had court notices that would show up in the mailbox. And of course they would see those and they're like, what's going on? And all I would do is just separate from them. You know, I just started avoiding them more. And then it would be to the point where I would move out of their house and I, you know, moved across the street pretty much like a mile away. And then I, it would be like a year and I wouldn't even wow. see them. I'd show up for Christmas because I was, you know, I was ashamed and I felt guilty. But the, the fact of the matter was I couldn't get sober enough just to mm-hmm. go visit my mom down the road. Well, I read and, that. Uh, yeah, I read that piece in your bio, um, and I, I was reading that part where, you know, it got to the point where you were just right down the street, like you said, and it was so hard to even go during the holidays. I remember experiencing that, too. Like, I um, I haven't told my full story yet. The biography hasn't come out, but I got to the point where, you know, I was a, a clean-cut kid four years earlier, and within four years was completely full-blown addict, completely full-blown addict. And I remember I would drive by my parents' house, and I wanted to go in so bad, and I just couldn't go in. I remember those moments, and I remember the feeling, like the sinking feeling going, oh, my God, I'm an addict now. That's what it was for me. It's like, I can't even go into my parents' house because they're going to know. They're going to know there's a problem. And I, they, they knew there was a looming issue and they would always ask me, my mom would always ask me, you know, there's something different about you. What's going on? She would ask me all the time. She looked worried and sick all the time. And you said something else powerful that I think is uh, something that needs to be brought to light, right? He talked about the fact that it was everybody else's fault in that moment, right? It wasn't your fault. So if the girl left or there's broken relationships, talk a little bit about that. And, you know, how did you deal with that? Or how did you, during that time, not now, but what did that look like? Did you blame other people? Was it, was it, uh, you know, no, it's not, not my fault. How did that feel? And how did that play out with you? Yeah. So pretty much, um, all by relationships would, they were pretty much all serious relationships. And I would always, uh, it would be, you know, six months into the relationship and these girls would realize that it wasn't a social drinking relationship. <clears throat> so it would come up pretty soon that we had, you know, an ultimatum. Like, okay, it's either you got to quit drinking or we're done. And I would always say, okay, all right, whatever. We're going to quit drinking. And, you know, I would just go into trying to hide it. But it would, after I got this ultimatum, it was, it was over, you know, and they would always just leave. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, they just don't get it. And yeah. this, this went on a couple times. And then uh, finally in 2006, I had a girlfriend that was like, you're pretty much going to die, you know? And no one had really said that every, all the other girlfriends would be like, okay, well, this relationship's going to be over. And I kind of, you know, I was immune to just losing these girlfriends, you know, because I was like, Oh, it's just the addiction. I'll just find somebody. And, you know, in in my mind, I'm like, I just need to find a girl that just loves to party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And, um, but finally I had, uh, 
the one girlfriend before I went to jail, she go, you're going to die. You have to change or you're not going to make it. And then that was a realization where I, oh my God, I, I, I do have to change because I'm on a path to destruction. And um, that was really like the defining moment. But there was, it was just a cycle for, you know, cl- I don't know, maybe seven or eight years where every girlfriend was just like, oh, you know, yeah, all right, I'll see you later. I know how this ends out, you know. And um, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop for them. And, you know, it was heartbreaking on their side. And, you know, I'd sit there and, you know, but there was just no way I could stop for anybody at that point. Right. Um, You're so deep in it. So also, too, you you were working in the bar environment during this, right? So you were in the bar yeah. environment working. Talk a little bit about your environment and what did that look like? And you know, I was reading the through the bio and stuff, and there's some pretty crazy stories. Like, tell us, maybe tell me one of your craziest stories out there around the addiction and, and some things that you remember. And, you know, what you were talking about that. So you were working in a bar environment while you were at this addiction, correct? Yeah. So the funny thing is about... I had always enjoyed the restaurant business. Um, I always loved just showing up to work. Every day was different. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would go in and I was just a happy, you know, a happy life of the party bartender. And so I'd just be sitting there. I'd talk to anybody. I wasn't an angry drunk or anything like that. I just drank all the time. And I was, you know, I would go in at five o'clock at night and I would work until two in the morning. But I would just sit there and drink constantly. But there was times, you know, even when I'm like 24, 25 years old, that I would wake up before I go to work and my shakes were so bad that I couldn't even start my car. I couldn't even get the key in the ignition. So I would be sitting there drinking shots at my house, going to work, and then I'd be, you know, drinking. And, um, but there would be times where I would be working in a total blackout. And then the following night I'd be, you know, one of the guests would come in and they'd be like, Oh man, what's going on? I was like, I haven't seen you in ages. And they were like, yeah. you were hanging out last <laughs> yeah. night. You know what I'm like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. And then wow. there would be times where, um, I would be working and I, I, you know, I'd leave the restaurant and the next morning my phone would ring and it would be the owner of the bar. And he'd be like, where's the money? Uh, why was the back door not locked last night? And I was just, I would just be so confused, but they, you know, I never got fired uh, and, and everybody was like, Oh, but he can hold his job. I worked four nights a week mm-hmm. for the most part for years. And everybody was like, he still has his job. Yeah. Um, I had a car, I had a truck and you know, everybody's like, Oh, it looks like he has it all together. And the sure. thing was, I was just, I was sick and tired. Yeah. Um, I was just exhausted of that lifestyle and uh, yeah, something had to change. So how did you so. hide it? I mean, so you had the truck, you had the car, you were, you were functioning, right? You're functioning. We're now, were you, was it mostly the alcohol? Was it the drugs mixed in? Was it everything? Would you say you were more addicted to the alcohol or the drugs or was it everything? It was, it was everything. Okay. It was all the way. It was everything across the board. Um, but I would, you know, I drink so much and for me to avoid like slurring and, you know, just stumbling all around, I would just, you know, party with cocaine. So then I'm like, Oh, I'm alert. You know, I'm just alert and drunk the whole time. But, you know, I would be doing so much cocaine and so much drinking that my memory was shot. I I couldn't remember, you know, anything. I remember days, you know, and thank, 
thank the Lord there wasn't too much texting and social <clears throat> media back then or else I'd be posting who knows what. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, but, you know, I would, I would wake up in the morning and I'd just be like, okay. And I would screen through like my call log and I was just like, what happened last night? Wow. You know, and then I would have to try and piece everything together. I'd be looking through my pockets, finding the receipts of different bars and everything. And I was just like, oh, and it was just, it was a nightmare. And I don't know, it was kind of weird because I think there was some people that were friends of mine or like acquaintances. There was people I partied with. Yeah. And they just thought it was like I was just partying like a rock star. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was making good money and everything like that. But it just took a toll on me. And, you know, I wasn't really I was just kind of slipping into this depression. Yeah. And like, how am I going to crawl myself out of this? You know, and it was just never ending. I, I think it's pretty scary. Yeah, that's something that's important to talk about, too, and really bring it to light is, you know, it starts out fun, right? It starts out with the excitement, you're having fun, you're getting those ultimate highs, and then you're chasing that high over and over again. Then it becomes a lifestyle and then a necessity. And the next thing you know, it's not fun anymore, right? It's just not fun. You're just doing, like you said, you're shaking in your car. It's not like people think you're drinking to enjoy yourself, but you're drinking just to survive at that point. And then what is what was the cost? I mean, what was it costing you to keep up with your addictions? It was, it was insane. Um, I don't know. I was probably making close to, you know, an average night behind the bar. I was making like anywhere from 300 to $500. And every night I would go out, I would just be spending, you know, that amount of money. Um, I did have a townhouse, um, that I, you know, bought low, sold high. So I had a whole bunch of extra money left over after that. And then I just started, Oh, I'm going to reinvest this. I'm going to do this and this. But at the, you know, I'm like, wow, wait, if I put it in this account, I can just have access to it. Yeah. And then that's pretty much what I did. Um, We would take ski trips up to Canada and, you know, I'd just be like, oh, shots of Jaeger for everybody. Yeah, 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 for everybody, you know? And I get the check and it would be like $700. I wouldn't even care. Right. And, you know, but the way I was spending, um, it's kind of funny how, you know, the universe works. It was like, I'm spending all this money mm-hmm. and then I'm like, what is going to happen where it comes to a halt? And sure enough, shortly thereafter, you know, I got busted drinking and driving and it kind of all kind of came, you know, came crashing down. But, um, the yeah, peak, I right? was, yeah, I was just spending and spending and spending that. And I really, I think down deep inside, I didn't think I had much longer to live. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I was just like, Ugh, there's no retirement. Cause I figured yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna die early. Yeah. My weight, uh, right now today, I, I weigh in at 175. Okay. I, I'm at six, six foot tall, 175. Um, I went down to 108 pounds. Wow. Wow. So there was nothing to me. There was no, there was no food. There was no nothing. It was, it was Jägermeister, Bud Light, cocaine. And every now and again, I'd eat a French fry from McDonald's and food felt so foreign to me that I would just throw up. I'd be like, what was, that was a French fry. I can't do that anymore. Wow. You know? Wow. And I was, and I was deteriorating. Okay. 
So, and, t- uh, so talk about, so you were deteriorating, you know, you had that, I call it the peak, right? You had the peak and you know, it's coming, the person peaks and they're just about to crash. Right. And reading the story, it was really interesting. You, you were smiling when the cops arrested you. So tell that story. It was so interesting to read that. Some people would read that and be like, what the heck? But it makes sense. When I read it, yeah. it totally makes sense. It was a sigh of relief. So talk about that story where you know, you're flying down the road, you get pulled over by the cops. The cops are like, what the hell are you laughing at? But share that story. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one night I was, uh, at a bar and I had a lot to drink and I was like, all right, I just got to go home. And I lived like right across the street. I had a BMW M3 at the time, nice little fast vehicle that I shouldn't have been driving ever. But, um, I was like, oh, I just got to get out of here, go home, blah, blah, blah. So I was driving down the road, took a left down the parkway and then just started, just started gunning it, just started speeding. And I was just cruising. And uh, next thing you know, I, there's a cop over there. And I was like, oh, no. You know, and I'm looking down. I'm like, I'm over 100 miles an hour. Wow. So they're coming out. They're putting their lights on. There's, you know, cops everywhere. They had a little helicopter up and all that stuff. And I was chasing for probably close to about, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And uh, what I was doing, though, I was like, I got to get rid of you know, I had drugs in my pocket. I had coke in my pocket. So I'm tossing all my drugs out the window. Uh, and then finally I turned down this road and it was a dead end. Um, what were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking during this? Like, are you driving? I, I mean, were you yeah. sober at the time or do you remember? I mean, yeah, I know you were drinking, but do you remember like, like right now, do you remember exactly what happened? The feeling you had throwing the drugs out the window, the adrenaline, like what was the feeling? Um, it was kind of like an adrenaline rush. And then it was also like, I think I'm going to die. Wow. Um, and I remember just feeling like totally out of control and, you know, thinking that's it. I'm going to go to jail for a very long time. And, you know, I thought the way when I turned off, I thought I had it, the road I was going down. I thought I had a while before I'd hit another parkway and I was totally, I was wrong. And so I, you just I kept going, it. you just kept going. Yeah. Well, wow. no. So where I went was I, I turned off the road. Okay. And it was, it was a dead end. So I had nowhere to go. And, and now were your intentions, I, were you just going to floor it and didn't go? Yeah. So originally I was okay. going to keep on fleeing. Okay. And, um, so that wasn't the case. And then, <laughs> um, so I, you know, pulled the car over, uh, stopped the car. And then by that time there was, you know, police officers around me and they were running towards me and, you know, I pretty much got tackled handcuffed, um, you know, and they were really ticked off as they should have been. Sure. And then, um, you know, they arrested me and I just kind of had this smile, this grin on me. And they were like, what are you laughing at? Or, you know, what are you smiling at? And I was like, well, I'm going to get sober after this. Yeah. So, um, and then that was kind of my, my game plan. And that night it kind of was like, you know, this is as weird as it sounds, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. You know, if this is, if this is going to be done, it has to be done now. Yeah. So, um, so so now you get arrested and you're in jail. So how long were you in jail for during that time? Like, did they put you overnight? Was it, was it a week or how long? Yeah. So that night I ended up, um, posting bail. I think my bail was at like $10,000 or something. Ended up one of my bar regulars was a bail bondsman made a couple phone calls and they came in, they got me out and I was out by the morning. Um, and then of course I had started, you know, I got out and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going away for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then, you know, I'm still drinking and all that stuff. But in the meantime, I, you know, I went to work and they were like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do some jail time, but I started calling it, um, operation rehabilitation. You know, I was like, I'm not going to, I'll be incarcerated, but this is my time, you know, because at this point I had been in and out of different rehabs and nothing could stick. Nothing, you know, I'd be like, all right, I knew, you know, I knew the quotes. I knew, you know, AA, the steps, the big book, but nothing really, I couldn't, I couldn't just put all the pieces together. And I was like, I need some good quality time to myself. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of took it as, okay, I can beat myself up over this, you know, and be like, all right, what was me? I've fallen so far. Or I could be like, this is my rock bottom. This is my starting point. And I kind of took it as, all right, let's, let's do this and let's go for it. And, um, when I bailed out, I think I had, I think it was a month and a half before I went back to court. So it was kind of nice where, you know, I told my job that I was pretty much going to be in jail. Um, I kind of got things kind of situated and all that stuff and then mentally was preparing and then went into court. Um, you know, I was like, all right, I'm getting sober after this. So I started, started reading the book. Um, they had AA meetings in, in jail. So I would go into those meetings and then I kind of just felt like, okay, this is, this is it. I felt I was putting weight exercising there. So it was just kind of like transformation it, you know, it's weird black guys. So. Wow. so what did you, you going through withdrawals in there? I mean, so during the month, did you rehab yourself or did you go into jail, just cold Turkey, cut all the drugs off the alcohol? How did that look? Yeah. So when I went into jail, it was, um, the morning I went to court, I had a couple lines of cocaine, wow. a couple shots of Jaeger and a Bud Light. And then I was like, okay, this is it. And uh, detox was brutal. Um, the nurse in there was like, are you an alcoholic or an addict? And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay. And she kind of gave me like this weird look like I was joking. I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. my, my detox is probably going to be pretty brutal. Yeah. And she was like, okay, well, we'll keep an eye on you. And they actually gave me like this mattress on a cement slab. Um, and it was, it was bad. They, you know, I was in this main floor with, uh, at first I was in general holding for, um, the weekend or whatever for two days. And then they put me upstairs. And then I was like with eight guys and we were kind of like in this day room and then we had our own cells and they would bring me uh, a tray, you know, so they'd mm-hmm. have like beans and a hot dog. And then you'd have your, like a water there on the tray and they'd hand it through the door and I would pick it up and I'd walk with it and it would just go all over the floor. And they were like, oh, shakes, come on, man. You know? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, you know, like yeah. I don't even have any food left. And that happened for a couple of days. Then um, one of the doctors came by, gave me a physical, like after five days or something. And, uh, you know, he was looking at me. He was like, well, how are you feeling? And I was like, I think the worst of it's over. You know, and I had nightmares. I was sweating everything out. Uh-huh. But I had started to feel a little bit better. But, like, those first 10 days were horrible. Um, yeah. But they kept an eye on me. And then uh, I think after, like, I was 108 when I was first in there. And then I ended up getting up to, like, 155 155 pounds after three and a half months. Good for you. So providing hope for people like 
somebody in this situation, say they're drinking right now, they're hooked on drugs, you know, you said how long, how many days did it take to you had that feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel somewhat normal. Like you just had that realization where, okay, I'm not shaking anymore. How long did that take? I mean, I know everybody's different, but for you, how long did that take? And, and what was the experience in jail too? Was, were you just like, what the hell happened to my life? I mean, what were you thinking during that time? I mean, you went from, you know, a good family to, you know, having a good job, BMW M3, a truck, a condo, you know, having all this money to now you're sitting in jail. So what was it like? What were your thoughts? Yeah. So I think, I think for like the, the major intense um, detox was pretty much, you know, I made the, I made the turn after five days. Uh, The first five days was really like, is this even, is this even worth it? Like, Oh my goodness. If, if I had been out on the, you know, out in the real world, I probably would have relapsed after day two or three. Um, so it was good that I was actually locked up, no access to anything. Um, but after five days I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I haven't felt normal. Like I couldn't remember, you know, any time except for in rehab that I had five days sober, you know? So it was like, wow, this is, this is great. And at the, you know, and so I'm thinking, all right, I'm in jail. So I'm talking to these guys I'm locked up with and, you know, they're all in for, you know, grand larceny and, you know, all sorts of weird things. And I'm in there for, you know, five DUIs. And they're like, how the hell are you just in here now for five DUIs? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you know, and um, the thing was, I was like, all right, so I'm in here with all these convicts. And I didn't like look at myself like that. I just thought I had, you know, a, a drinking problem, and sure. a, you know, drug problem. And it was kind of funny because I kind of, you know, would go through the, um, you know, like the day room. So then I moved to another room and I think there was 42 people kind of in this room. And then I kind of picked out like, you know, who's in there for alcohol and drugs and all that stuff. And, you know, I was just talking to them and, you know, the main common thing is they all kind of, we all kind of started as this, you know, social experimentation Mm -hmm. thing. And, you know, you either go into like selling drugs and try to make money for it. And then those people are in there. or You just have these people just trying to do drugs on their own and then they have a problem and then they get busted time and time again. And it was just kind of funny. I was like, you know, it sucked because my parents would come in there. They would come visit me, you know, and I'm behind the glass and they're yeah. just like, you know, what the heck? And the, the thing was that I would look at the opportunity like, okay, I just saw my parents. They came and visited me in jail. Um, this has got to be the last time that this ever mm-hmm. happens. Um, what do I, how do I change this? So I never come back here. So how did and, you like like how did you do that? Like what was the biggest? I mean, I know you're in jail now, but you saw your parents coming in. So what was the mental shift? I mean, there was some sort of mental shift, some sort of trigger that this was it. This was the, I mean, that was it after that, right? Yeah, that was okay. it. And the the thing was is years before, I would I would go into rehab and I would uh I'd be like, "Okay, so I got to stay sober." And I would think about the future like, mm-hmm. "Okay, so uh, oh, my friend's getting married next July. And I would already in my mind, I would relapse thinking about going to their wedding. Wow. You know, I, I already set myself up for failure. You know, I wouldn't. And then I would already have this anxiety. Oh my, how am I going to get through this 
wedding without drinking, you know? And then I was like, all right, maybe I could just do one or two, you know? And I threw that whole notion away, you know? So now I'm sitting in jail. I have my parents looking at me behind the, the glass window. And I'm like, what can I, what, what do I have to do? And I would read the, you know, the big book, AA. And then there was a couple meetings that they did um, in jail. And he said, um, you know, this too shall pass was, you know, a couple of the sayings and one day at a time. And I took those two sayings. I said, all right, that's all I got to do. Once I get out of here, it's one day at a time. It's one hour at a time. Sometimes it's one minute at a time. And this too shall pass. So if I'm really like stressing out or, you know, anything, Oh, today's a bad day. It'll pass. Everything's going to be fine. You know, and I can just take it one hour. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to use drugs. I'm going to get through the day tomorrow. When I wake up, I start all over. I'm going to go one day at a time. I'm not going to drink for today. I'm not going to do drugs for today. And that was the whole thing. When people would say, Oh, so-and-so's got a barbecue coming up. Are you going? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going, but I know that I'm not going to drink. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be some days where I wouldn't go because I knew that I would, it would be a trigger for me, Yeah. but I kept on, I used it one day at a time, one day at a time. So while I'm in jail, I had, you know, I left with 90 or I guess it was like 105 days by the time I got out. So I had 105 okay. days sober. Wow. And so when I come out, um, and that's a whole nother story because I got released on bail while I was waiting for charges on uh, drug charges. So I still had to go back and do prison time. But when I came out, I was like, I just got to focus on one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was freaky. Cause you know, in jail, you're like, Oh, there's no chance of a beer coming by. You know, there's no chance of you doing any drugs or anything like that. Um, so I was terrified and I just, just kept on going, you know, one day at a time. And I would just avoid situations. And then, Next thing you know, you start getting this mind shift, this momentum. Yeah, momentum. You start to feel, you're like, wow, this is great. Like, this is actually me living a clean and sober life. And then you just start going with it and going with it. You feel better. Health-wise, you look better. You know, I look like a train wreck, you know? And then all of a sudden, my face fills in. I don't have these bags under my eyes. And it was just this amazing transformation. And, you know, looking back at it, I was kind of, you know, when you stop, (laughs) you stop drinking for like two days and you're like, I want to feel better today. You know, we're addicts. So we want this instant gratification. We want, if we want to stop today, we want to feel better by the morning. Right. You know, and you start to learn like this whole, you got to be patient Mm -hmm. and it takes momentum and slowly you have this mindset where you're, you just start moving in the right direction and then things just start taking place. You know, there's still going to be obstacles. There's still going to be, you know, things in life, trials and tribulations that just come up out of nowhere, Yeah. but you're, you're equipped better for it. You know, you're mentally tougher than you were and you just keep on going. And awesome. it was kind of like, you know, that was kind of like the, the shift that I felt. And I think in a weird way, jail, Jail gave that to me. It was like, yeah. this is the last resort. If I don't fix it now, I'm, this is my home. Yep. You know? Yeah. And it was like, you know, now I can feel at least I'm in a spot where I, I'm at a rock bottom. I can appreciate this rock bottom and I can use that to propel myself back to where I needed to be. 
Wonderful. So you talked about a couple things I wrote down. So that too shall pass. You wrote one day at a time. So people listening. So if you're listening, you put that too shall pass one day at a time, patience and momentum. So it's, you got to be patient like anything, just like with a workout program, anything it's consistency, patience, consistent effort, and also like a workout program too, a nutrition program. We talk about a lot. If you mess up one day, just get right back on track. Just get back on track. I think people fumble and they just, they let it unravel everything. So, all right. So now you've been to jail, you know, you've been, you've been an addict for about, was it seven to nine years close to, was that? Did yeah, I correctly? Uh, it was probably, uh, from when I started using to, you know, full blown addict and stopped, it was probably, we're probably looking at 10 years. Okay. So that's 10 years. And now, now we're 11 years later. So let's, let's go back to that, that moment. You get back, you're sober now. Let's talk about how sober, sober and stoked came about that. That's what attracted me to this. this is awesome. I saw it on Instagram. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. You know, we connected through Instagram. I should have brought that up in the beginning. How we connected was through Instagram. Uh, you know, you saw my Roids to Riches book. I saw your, your mission and we connected and I, I believe we're on the exact same mission, but in just different aspects, which is phenomenal. And that's, what's beautiful about Instagram and social media, how we can all connect throughout the world, but share with us your mission. What is sober and stoked? How did it come about? Um, and to tell us, tell us what the mission is. So the whole mission about sober and stoked is we, well, let me kind of backtrack just a little bit. So, um, me and my buddy, Eugene kind of, uh, founded sober and stoked and he was a guy that I bartended with. And so we were kind of like party animals together. So a lot of those stories that happened, he was with me. Um, and he had gotten a DUI a year previous to me. And he ended up going into a rehab facility and gotten sober um, before I did. So he kind of went out of the picture. I kind of went through on my thing. He came out of rehab uh, sober. And then I did my whole uh, time locked up and everything. I get clean and sober. And he started, he was, uh, he was down to the beach. He was clean. Um, surfing. Uh, surfing all the time. And uh, that was kind of like our thing. Um, I would still go to meetings and, you know, do all this other stuff, but I would meet up with Eugene and we would surf. We would go snowboarding. And that's kind of like, oh, that's what we need to do. Because when we went before, and we talked about this, you know, when we were starting Sober and Soaked, we're like, before we went and got clean and sober, how did you think your life was going to be? Mm. And Everybody, just me and Eugene alone, we were like, I thought it was going to be so boring. You know, I was like terrified. You know, how, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? You know, and um, then we talked to different addicts and different friends of ours. And we all had this preconceived notion that all of a sudden our life would be boring. We, we mm. would be able to survive, you know, but we wouldn't be able to, you know, go out to restaurants. We couldn't go to a bar and meet up with friends. You know, we couldn't watch a, you know, go to barbecues and weddings and watch football games because there was a chance that alcohol would be there and how are we going to live and all this stuff. And then we kind of, you know, we were like, you know what, we can get back into like rediscovering, reinventing, <clears throat> redefining ourselves, you know? So we got clean and sober and then I, we would start surfing again. So then I started surfing the best I've ever surfed. You know, before I would just, I would drink at the beach and then I'd go surfing. I wouldn't even remember catching any waves. I'd just be sitting there like flailing around, you know, yeah, now we're, yeah. you know, now we're actually surfing. And then we'd go, we'd go snowboarding. We'd go on these snowboarding trips, you know, and it was like this spiritual awakening, like, oh man, this is, 
This is what I got to do for the rest of my life. This is how I'm going to stay alive. You know, this is like this, this new rush, you know, this whole thing that I was chasing. This is what we got to do. And then, you know, I started doing triathlon, you know, I wanted to feel better. And then I do Ironman. And then it was just like this whole thing. So we were like, let's do sober and stoked. Not, we don't necessarily need people to go and start surfing. We don't need people to go start skiing, but there's something out there for everybody. And, uh, we were filming our, our teaser and we were at the beach and we came out and this lady's walking her dog. And, uh, she was like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're filming a documentary. And she's like, that's great. And we're like, it's going to be called sober and stoked. And she was like, I have 17 years in recovery. And we're like, Oh, this is great. And she was like, you know, she would uh, go to meetings and she got sober and, you know, she was like a year in and her sister got uh, clean and sober too. And, you know, one day they're like, let's start riding bikes. And then, you know, this lady starts riding her bike and now, you know, she rides her bike all over the place. She runs with her dog and yeah. she's like, we need people to get the, we need to get the word out that, mm-hmm. you know, physical exercise, find a hobby, find anything, yep. but just something. And then, you know, you kind of, when you get clean and sober, you kind of have this survive thing. You're just, you're yes. just holding on. You yep. just, all right, I need to get my life mm-hmm. back. But that first year, you're kind of just like, holy crap, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. And then you kind of get into this thrive section where you're like, I need, I need to really come out and like redefine myself, reinvent myself. Yeah. And then that's kind of like the word, the message. We want to turn our mess into the, a message, you know, or we're like, Hey, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And, um, so that was kind of like the, the whole, you know, the, the project behind it. That's awesome. Well, you talked about it. It's important to understand this too. It's for me, uh, you know, bodybuilding is the whole thing that almost killed me. The the drugs in bodybuilding and it transitioned to painkillers. Trans- and it, I won't let the cat out of the bag, but the whole story is going to be told in about five to six days and the book comes out, but it literally almost killed me. And now I use the very thing that almost killed me as my outlet. It literally is my outlet. Like I, I call myself a beast in the gym. I train like I used to. And I find this like a spiritual, you talk about spiritual. I wake up at 3.52 every morning. I'm very patterned. But I use the very thing that almost killed me as my addiction now, which is bodybuilding and working out and doing it drug-free and doing it the right way. And, you know, I, I think it's important too for people to understand that, that have addictions, uh, maybe it's alcohol, cocaine. It could be anything, you know, food addictions. It, you, it's almost like people like us with addictions have to replace it with something and when you replace it with something healthy it helps you tremendously so i think it's really important that you talk about that because people do feel scared right that sobriety is scary it's absolutely scary because you know you brought up the fact that you didn't even realize that you could have a good time without drinking i thought the same thing i thought i could never go out without partying i couldn't go to a, a, a nightclub without taking a drug i couldn't do this without doing this and then when i started to feel comfortable in my own skin it was amazing. I remember sitting in a bar, you know, with my beautiful wife. Now, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. But I remember sitting at a bar going, I don't even need it. I don't even care. Like I'm having a great time and I'm smiling. But it took me a long time to get there. It took a lot of spiritual right. work. It took a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer, a lot of focus on, on, on mastering the craft. So talk a little bit about that. You know, you talked about sober and stoke, but how 
focused are you on it? I mean, what does it take? Like, is it a daily battle for you? It's 11 years now. So 11 years sober now, right? And so it's 11 years later. Is it a daily battle for you? Do you still feel the addictions? Do you still feel the urges? For me, I'm constantly in meditation and prayer. That's what works really well for me. Um, I'm constantly in the word. I'm constantly teaching and preaching, you know, uh, a better life to people and stuff like that. So that almost saves my life. It keeps me focused and it keeps me accountable. So for you, like 11 years later, I, I don't really don't have cravings anymore. I don't even think about it in that aspect. It's, it can be, I can be around it. It doesn't bother me. Things not that I'm in that environment, but if a painkiller is around me, I don't even think about taking it. So, but it right. took me a long time to get there. So how long did it take you to get to that, that point where it's like, okay, I feel clean. I feel sober and I can do this. Yeah. Um, so I think like right now, I usually don't even, there's really nothing craving wise um, that really sets me off. But sometimes I'll watch a movie, you know, I'm mm. snorting cocaine and I'm like, oh, and just out of left field, I'm like, oh man, that would be so yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, and then for like, you know, a minute, you're like, man, how cool would it be to be like a social cocaine user? Mm. Yeah, but it's impossible, you know, so that, yeah. that memory or that thought goes right back out. But I think what kind of, shifted for me was, um, you know, like the first two to three years, it was still like, not so much a daily thing, but I would still be in situations, you know, I would hang out with some friends and, you know, there would be drinking involved and I was like, oh, and there'd always be that one, like, you know, something like, uh, it would just feel weird. And yeah. then what happened was I, I kind of shifted. I focused more on, you know, surfing and snowboarding and things like that. So then like, I kind of had this new craving, you know, I was like, Oh, I got to go out and, you know, go ski today or go snowboarding or go surf. And if I didn't do that, I, you know, go for a run and do things like that. So I kind of shifted this energy where this energy was like kind of thinking of doing drugs. I was kind of thinking of, you know, doing something to benefit that, you know, because yeah. you have all these, you know, you take an alcoholic and an addict and they are the most dedicated person to the drug or to yes. the drink. They're so yeah. dedicated. They will do whatever it takes to get their hands mm -hmm. on their yep. fix, whatever yep. their drug of choice is. And then now you take that away from them. And then now they could be dedicated. You put something in a, you know, a healthy energy to them. Yep. And then now you, you can change the world with an addict. You know, you just put them in the right direction. You, you know, we, we were talking to, you know, people doing motocross and rock climbing yeah. and all this stuff. And you're, you know, you, they kind of take that craving and then they kind of switch it into this, you know, hobby or physical element. And then it's kind of this transformation. So like, you know, 11 years and I, it's funny because I really don't feel like I have any cravings, but I live in Vail, Colorado now. I, I am on the mountain Close to usually, I average out about 151 days a season. So wow. I'm out there every day. Yeah. Um, so now it's like if I wake up and I'm out on the mountain, that's my new drug. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, like why wasn't I on the mountain today? Yeah. You yeah. know, so that's kind of like my new thing, and I'm sure the same thing with you, like bodybuilding. If mm -hmm. there's a yeah. day where you're not working out, you're like, oh, tomorrow I definitely got to get in the gym, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. you know, I got to yeah. get my cardio in, or. You know, and even like, you know, cheat meals, if, you know, you're sitting there eating mm -hmm. healthy and all of a sudden you have, you know, one bad day. Yeah. Oh, God, what did I do today? Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, that's kind of like where I am, you know, 11 years after. Um, it's just like, the, you know, I kind of just transformed my, 
my mindset, my thought process, kind of like my, you know, I kind of trying to get a new addiction, so to speak. Right. Well, you, you talked about the mindset. So it's important people know you have to do, there's a paradigm shift in your mind, right? You're literally reprogramming your brain, reprogramming the way you think. Uh, number one, another thing too you talked about is the people you surround yourself with is critical. We all know that, right? If if you're going to get sober, get the hell away from people that do drugs and alcohol. I mean, right. try to take yourself out of that environment. Um, it's very, very important, but also too, it's good to get those healthy addictions out there. So now you're 11 years sober. You guys are filming Sober and Stoke. So where are you guys at in the process with this like i know you guys are looking for support on your mission we want to help you want to grow this thing i'm all about it man i think it's amazing what you guys are doing i think it's fantastic and i'll share a little bit about my story to you guys um you know just to you personally is that you know i I left corporate america three weeks ago actually three weeks ago at a high-paid vice president job i rebuilt my life all the way up 11 years ago to you know i'm not going to talk about all the accolades but basically from addict all the way up to vice president of the company and i left corporate america to go prove to people that they have the power inside of them to accomplish anything through the mind, right? I started with meditation, started in Buddhism, got to Christianity, and literally I'm controlling my whole life. I'm the captain of my ship. When I want to go right, I go right. When I want to go left, (laughs) I just just left this high paid vice president job to prove that I can build the number one motivation brand. And so it's it's awesome. So I want to support you guys on this mission and what you guys are doing. So share with us, you know, what what does the mission look like? What do you need from the viewers? What do you need from the podcast uh, listeners? Um, We want to carry on this mission. And how can people get a hold of you? too i mean what what is this what is this mission about and how can people be involved in it yeah so the main mission is um we're coming out with the documentary um it's mostly it's a documentary about recovery uh and then finding your hobby rediscovering yourself so we're going to have surfing we're going to have snowboarding we have uh some motocross going on rock climbing we have endurance athletes and all these people are in recovery, you know, they kind of, we have, um, we have a skateboarder who kind of was, you know, at the peak of his, you know, peak of his life, peak of his career and kind of just let it all, let it all go due to, you know, drugs and alcohol. And then he kind of reinvented himself. Um, we also have a motocross guy that busted, had a wreck, got on painkillers and then kind of lost everything. And then started, yeah. Yeah, how we just, you know, crawl back our way into our way into life. And then how it's not just about getting, you know, so so many times we're like, all right, this person has to go and get clean and sober. So Mm -hmm. they go and get clean and sober. They come out of rehab and they're like, okay, now what? What do I do? You know? And what we want to do is we want to, you know, it's, you know, your first 90 days is important. You know, you got to go Mm -hmm. do what you got to do. A lot of it is. AA meetings or however you want to do it, rehabs, jail, jail, jail works. You know, (laughs) I can tell you jail works, but you come out and there's got to be something else. You, there has to be something where you can refocus your life. Um, so many times people go, all right, I'm clean and sober. Okay. How you, how you been doing? Well, I haven't done anything. I'm like locked in my basement. Okay. Like, what do you, what's the next step? I don't know, you know? And so we're kind of doing this as a documentary to kind of reach out to everybody. Originally we wanted to do like a a surf movie with recovery, but then we were like, we need to do a recovery movie with all these different options. And we're kind of showing it's a broad spectrum. Um, Surfing and snowboarding really worked for us, but I also, you know, did triathlon and, 
you know, there's so many things out there and we kind of just want to show a message of hope that, you know, whatever you do, it's going to be, it gets better. Yes. You know, just find something and it gets better. And that's kind of like, that's the main message that we're coming with. And when we started this thing on, we kind of started on Instagram and we reached out, we're releasing a trailer, um, Later this month, we will have a, a campaign, a crowdfunding, uh, crowdfunding, and the, the Indiegogo, and we're going to raise money. We will raise money, and we're going to be looking for spots in California, and we're going to have a lot of bike surfing and all that segment, and then we're going to release our documentary next summer. Um, in the meantime, we're on Instagram. It's uh, sober and stoked, so it's sober underscore and underscore stoked, and uh, we also have a Facebook group page which is sober and stoked and then i also have a private group it's sober and stoked and then parentheses addicted to life which is more like a a thing for our addicts um you know people struggling where they can post and you know the whole facebook nation won't see that they're you know posting a problem and it's been it's been awesome and it's kind of taken this this new kind of step in the direction that we didn't think possible when Eugene and I sat down, we were like, are we going to be able to do this? And this was always like this pipe dream. And we ran into this film crew with Valiant artistry and there, they just came out of film school and the addictions kind of intertwined through everybody's lives with this film crew. And they're like, we have to do this film, you know? So budget wise, we got in, um, and everybody kind of has the same vision where we really just want to go out and help people and see where this takes us. And it's just something that needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, the thing is, is like over these last 11 years, you know, I came out to Vail five years ago. So in these last five years, especially, you know, I talked to my friends back home, you know, back in Virginia and there's people struggling and it's like, yeah. People died from, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. People are drinking mm-hmm. themselves to death. And then yeah. that's not even dealing with the heroin epidemic. We got yes. people ODing all over the place. 530% and it was, increase, like over the last, I don't know what the exact years are, 530% increase in heroin usage. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. But yeah, no, yeah. no. And, it's, and it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big problem. And mm-hmm. um, I had a past with heroin and I was, you know, fortunate enough to, I quit that in 2004 before I quit everything else in 06 because I knew it was going to kill me. And now you have to cut with fentanyl. And the thing is, is like, you know, I was kind of like sitting back and I was like, all right, well, I'm surfing and I'm snowboarding and all these people are asking me, how do I do it? And I was like, I need to get my message out on a a larger scale. You know, and you, you know, when you, you go through these problems in life and you're like, well, who in the hell would want to ask me for advice? And then you realize like, okay, I need to, I need to give my advice out there, yep. you know, because yep. yeah. this is like a testimony. And then that's kind of where it all came from. And now we're just kind of, you know, picking up momentum and uh, starting to roll with it. But we've, you know, reached out to you and that's exciting. Yeah. You know, Royce to Rich is always like, oh yeah. You know, and then I'm looking at your story, you know, and talking to you and I was like, man, we're, 
we were like the exact same person. It's and, 11, uh, yeah, 11 years later, literally 11 years later, very similar story, grew up in a good family. Uh, mine was going from a clean cut kid to starting with painkillers. And, you know, it goes into the whole story that's coming out very soon. But it's interesting. You talked about, you know, something that's really important that people that are listening, if you're struggling from an addiction, you got to bring it to light. You're not alone. I think that's one thing that's really important is there, you know, people don't understand you're sitting in a room of 10 people. There's probably four to five people with some sort of addiction. I mean, it's so such an epidemic now, but everybody's so for me, what almost killed me literally almost killed me i should be i shouldn't be here right now what killed me was my pride and my ego I, yeah. I was a I was an addict that nobody even knew. Nobody had no idea was an addict. I was a functional addict. I was running a successful a personal training company and business. Well, they thought it was successful. I was hiding everything. I was losing money, spending all my money on drugs, and I literally was a, a functional addict. Nobody had any idea I was an addict because my pride, my ego, got in the way, and it literally almost killed me. Like literally, almost killed me. And I and I run into people, and it's God is so good because He brings me people into my life that are struggling with the same thing, and they're like, "Oh, you you you." Went through that i'm like yes i did and you need to bring it to light because there when you bring it to light you'll be shocked how many people out there are struggling with addiction you know and it's not yeah. just cocaine it's not just heroin it's alcohol food porn whatever it is people have addictions and when you bring it to light you know it can be dealt with i mean i think that's the biggest thing and as and that's what's beautiful about what you guys are doing is um is you're bringing it to light you're putting it out to people and it's a positive thing it's like not you're a drug addict it's like hey you have an issue. Here's some support we can help you with. And then, like you said, the Facebook thing is people can anonymously go on there and post their issues and their problems. And, you know, you can share ideas and you can share with them how to get sober and stoked, which I absolutely love. And I think it's amazing what you guys are doing, man. I think it's amazing. And if anybody can support you, please, guys, go out there and support this cause. Because, you know, so if you don't have an addiction yourself, you know someone who's suffering from addiction. I don't think I could meet anybody out there that doesn't know somebody who's either struggling with alcohol or drugs and, and like we both talked about 530 percent increase in heroin usage and people think it's the drug addict on the street corner it's housewives man it's housewives yeah. it's it's the, your school teacher it's 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 shocking who is struggling with drug addiction and hiding it so people like me that 11 years later both of us how are we are yeah uh, so basically, you show, you're some messages you share that were powerful. Think about patient, right? It's going to be a long process, guys. It's not going to be easy. So no, you've got to be patient. One day at a time. That's something I wrote down. Uh, you also put that two shall pass. And then you talked about two momentum. You got to create momentum. You got to create momentum in your plan. You got to surround yourself with the right people. And I'm impressed, man. I'm really impressed. And you know, whatever JV Impacts can do to support your mission, uh, we're going to be there for you. We're going to be there for you. What I'd ask everybody to do on the podcast, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, whatever you can do to share this story would be fantastic. You know, if you have a loved one or you're struggling with addictions, you know, reach out to us, ask for help, and uh, anything we can do to help with the um, crowdfunding for the Sober and Stoke, please let me know. We'll get that out on our Facebook page, uh, Instagram. And then uh, when you guys are in a different phase of it or whatever you need, you just jump back on the JVM Packs podcast and see how we can support you. So anything you want to tell your fans, anybody, anything you want to tell the people in the sober and stoked world, you know, what's your message of hope and your message of motivation for them? I'm just excited to get, uh, get this underway. I'm excited for all the feedback we've had um, from everybody so far. I love everybody that's come forward, messaged us, Instagram messaged us, um, we get messages every day, um, you know, people that are just like, Hey, I love what you're doing. Uh, I've turned my son onto this. So I'm just, you know, stoked to be a part of this. I'm stoked that you had me on the show. I love what you're doing. And I think we'll be able to, uh, work together and come along with some, uh, things as we move forward. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about all of this and thanks again, John, for having me on the show.
Yeah. And I want to end by saying, you know, I appreciate you so much for, you know, bringing your story to light. I mean, it's important. A lot of people are scared to do that, but what you're doing is you're turning your trials and tribulations into triumph, right? And by you sharing this story and sharing what you went through, actually going to jail and being very open and honest by you sharing that story, that's why you went through it. You're here to help millions and millions of people. And I know you're going to do that, Scott. So I appreciate you. I'm very thankful for you. And uh, we're going to go ahead and shut down the JB Impacts podcast where we talk about motivation, health, and life. And we're so inspired to be part of the sober, sober and stoke journey and if you need any help hit them up on instagram facebook and we appreciate you scott we'll talk to you soon buddy thank you so much thank you all right thank you brother that's it for today's episode in order for us to fulfill our mission please share this podcast with a friend so you too can impact someone's life today visit us at jvimpacts.com and make sure to pick up your copy of you must believe way of life remember ordinary people can do extraordinary things talk to you soon